0: We're going to study Acts 17 about Paul's work in Athens. To begin with, I want to begin with the idea of understanding the method that Paul was using to go from city to city. As you and I have read through all of these accounts, Paul goes into a city and he begins by going to the Jewish synagogue. Such is not the case here in Athens. In fact, I'd suggest to you, Paul faced a little bit of what I might call culture shock. A friend of our family a few years ago was working in the construction field and drove a truck to San Francisco, California, to a job site. He said when he got there, he asked for the person who was the foreman, and he said the man came out, had bright green and purple hair, and all kinds of various piercings on his face. He said, that was tough. He said, I didn't know if this was the real person or not, or if they were jo- was joking with me. But he said, it was such a culture shock to deal with people who don't look like we look like. I want you to imagine, even today, those of us who live here in Middle Tennessee, even within our own country. You go to the state of New York, to New York City, where they believe now that it's okay to murder a child right up until the time of birth. Where you might go to where people do not even believe in God and they're, they're convinced that they are much more intelligent than those of other parts. Culture shock. Well, the difference between Athens and the other cities Is the other cities there have been a strong Jewish element, even if you go to a city that doesn't have a synagogue like the city of Philippi, there are people who are gathered by the riverside there to offer prayer to God. People in that area would have known the Jews and would have known their law, the law of Moses and the respect for it. In Athens, there is a very strong pagan influence. And what do you mean by that? Very few people would have known God, and they worship and serve other gods. But you see, here's something interesting. Pagans then, and like pagans today, still have an interest in the hereafter. What will happen when I am gone? Where will I be in the future? Well, this morning, what we want to do is look at those verses that Brother W.C. read for us just a few moments ago. And we want to look at three things. We want to look at the people and the place. It's important to look at Athens and see a little bit of the background of these people. Then we want to look at the sermon that Paul delivered. The presentation, if you will, of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that's pagans. Then finally, to look at their preference. Their preference. How they responded to the message that Paul had delivered. When you think about Athens, it's a city with a very rich history. It was the birthplace of democracy. And those of us who live in the United States, we appreciate the ability to each of us express who we want our leaders to be. We want to say, I want this one to serve or that one to serve. Sometimes we regret our choices But democracy is that where you can make your own choices. It was the seed of philosophy. The great Greek philosophers of Aristotle, Socrates, and Plato. In fact, we use a lot of their methods in teaching today. The method of asking questions and seeking responses is that of the Socratic method. But you see, even if you think about the pagans, there was a very diverse group of them. In the context, Luke describes how Paul encountered certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. You see, the Epicureans were those who believed that you ought to indulge yourself in any and every pleasure that you can. In other words, life was meant to be enjoyed and that whatever makes me happy is what I ought to pursue. So if I enjoy going to the theater to watch the plays or if I enjoy going to the uh, Hippodrome to watch the races or maybe even to the Coliseums to see the gladiators uh, slay, one of them, slay one another, you see, that's a part of, of their indulgent lifestyle. I don't think that's so different from today. We spend thousands of dollars to, to entertain ourselves with television. With movies, sporting events, we find ourselves not denying anything that would make us happy. People make their decisions that way. In contrast to them were the Stoics. They believed that you denied any pleasure, that you didn't enjoy the food that you ate, you didn't enjoy your family, you didn't smile. Everything was supposed to be somber. You were just like a wooden stick. You see the two different ideas that are there that Paul confronts. This people also loved to debate, to discuss new ideas. Oh, my view is better than your view. The political realm. I favor this idea. You favor that idea. Let's discuss it. Let's go through that. The place where this occurred was called the marketplace. Or the Agora. The Agora was a large open area that had a colonnaded area around it. And people would set up their various booths. And that would be very much like our farmer's market. Someone would have maybe um, tomatoes for sale. Someone else may have honey for sale. Someone else may have some various beans. But you see, there was things available. But it was like our Walmart. I go to Walmart today to buy groceries and you start going down an aisle and there's three people side by side talking. You can't get down the aisle because they've got a conversation going on. You go to the marketplace and, and people there encounter one another and they talk to one another. But you see the message that Paul was delivering there was so important. They said the intellectuals have to hear this. There was this large rock that's in between the Acropolis, where the Parthenon and all those temples are located, and the marketplace. It's in between the two of those, and that's where the intellectuals would meet. It's called Mars Hill or the Areopagus. They wanted to know more about this new teaching that Paul was bringing. Look with me at verses 19 through verse 21. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else to either tell or to hear some new thing. All oh, this is important. We're hearing some things that's strange to us. We don't understand it. We don't know it. We better take this to the, to the intelligent ones who gather up there on Mars Hill who maybe can make sense of this so we can understand it. They can explain it to us. We want to know what this new doctrine is. I want to give you a little bit of a, a maybe a visual perspective. If you're standing on the Acropolis where the Parthenon is located... And you look down to the valley that is below, you'll notice that large area where there's trees, it's a big area, and it's the marketplace, and that's where the people would gather. If you're in the marketplace and you turn and you look up, you will see the Parthenon and all the temples that are located on that uh, large outcropping of rock. Just to the right, you'll notice that there is another elevated area, and that's the area of Mars Hill. And if you look very close, you'll see Larry Cook standing on the top of it with an orange hat. You'll see Brother Jerry Roberts to his left looking off into the marketplace. But you see, that's where they would meet and they would discuss things. And there were some steps that you would go up to the uh, top of Mars Hill. Very likely, the Apostle Paul climbed those very steps right there As he went up to the top of Mars Hill. Well, now we talked a little bit about the place. I've tried to get you to visualize it. To think about it. To understand the people and the place. But now let's focus on what Paul said. Why is it important to study the presenting of the truth to the pagan mind? Why should you and I take time as we go through this? We live in the Bible Belt. In fact, we're often described as the buckle of the Bible, Belt. Why should we be spending time to talk about pagans? I'll tell you why. The United States, like Europe, is rapidly becoming more pagan. Do you remember the time perhaps when some of you were much younger and in the various buildings where we assembled that there was no room to sit? You remember if you visited some of our sister congregations, that they would have 300, 400, 500 in attendance every Sunday. That number's not where it was. In fact, if you go around the United States, it's really, you'll notice that the church-going population is dropping rapidly. In Europe, you will visit the cathedrals that are empty. Many people have become pagans. They're not interested in going to church. See, pagans have souls too. These people who are not convinced about God, their soul is just as precious. Hebrews 2 and verse 9 said that Jesus tasted of death for every man. Jesus didn't come and just die for a few of us. He came and died for all. He gave a great commission. He said in Matthew 28 and verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Mark chapter 16 and verses 15 and 16, He says, Go therefore and preach the gospel of the whole creation, every creature. What that means is, oh, the attendance may go up, the attendance may go down, but folks... The gospel has to be preached to everyone. Well, how will Paul address it? He's going to make three very important points. The first one is going to be on the nature of man. Who are you? How did God create you? Number two, the nature of God himself. Who is God? Is he... Is he that little gold statue inside of that temple, or is God something else? And then the very important part of it, the necessity of repentance on the part of every man. Let's talk about the nature of man for just a minute. Man by nature is a worshiping being. He will worship something. Let's look at verses 26 and 27 in its context. And he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him. And find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now, did you hear what Paul said? Luke's record of it here. He says, He made from one blood. Zali and I have one blood. Doesn't matter the color of your skin, all men are made from one blood. And he says he has made them to dwell on the face of the earth. God created man to be here. But I want you to notice when you get to verse 27 that they should seek the Lord. God made us to be seekers, to be interested, to be inquisitive, to be curious. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Who am I? What am I? that they might grope for him. God makes us not only curious, but that we want to know who is our maker and find him. And he's not far from each one of us. If you want to know your maker, you can know your maker, and God built that within you. When Paul looked at them, he says, I perceive that in all things, if you're reading the King James, Too superstitious. New King James, you're very religious. Literally, the word means demon fearers. These people here were so afraid that they had overlooked some deity, some God, that they even created an altar to the unknown God. Oh man, we've got, to, we've got to have a God for everything. A God of the sea, a God of the air, a God of the wind, a God of the sky, of the various constellations. And we even got to make sure we don't leave one out. We don't offend that deity. And so we'll put one out to the unknown God. That tells you how seeking they were. We want to please all. Out of fear, they erected to the unknown God. Their piety, their religiousness, their superstition, if you will, was directed by ignorance. Him whom you worship ignorantly, or the New King James, without knowing. You're worshiping the true God. You're not worshiping correctly, but you don't know who he is. So that's going to lead to the second point. Him I will declare to you. And he's going to talk about the nature of God. And you think about the nature of God. He is our creator. Romans 1 verses 18 through 22. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hinder or suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. No say God's shown it to them. For since the creation, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. You look at the things that are made. You know, I'm amazed at the technology and the brilliance and the intelligence of some. Of our scientists today. They're able to make artificial hands. That when a person thinks. He can touch his little finger and his thumb. And when he thinks another thing. He can touch his middle finger and his thumb. Boy isn't that brilliant. God made one. That was there to start with. And you saw me touch my little finger and my thumb, and I didn't have to, but just a little thinking about that to do that. And you know what? This in here regenerates. The cells rebuild. Oh, and you tell me that the God there's not a God in heaven? Some divine intelligence that made all of our hands, all of our eyes, our cardiovascular system, everything that's a part of who and who we are. And then you look and you see the sun, the moon, the stars. And as the psalmist would say, What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. And crown him with glory and honor. And put him over the works of your hands. You see, we are, as David would say, fearfully and wonderfully made. Being understood through the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I look at the super intelligence of those people in the hallowed halls of academia today who are in these prestigious universities. <laughs> and they say, look how brilliant we are. And I'm saying, you can't even decide if a guy's a man or a woman. If you can't figure that out, how smart can you be? You see, as as you think about the nature of God, the God is, is able to be seen. But not only is He the Creator, He's a sustainer. He continues to uphold all things by the word of His power. Acts 14, verse 17, Nevertheless, He did not leave Himself without witness in that he did good, gave you rain from heaven, and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Oh, look at the world you and I have. We've laughed and some bemoaned the rain that we've had, but when the crops come this spring and they grow and flourish, we will be thankful for the early and the latter rains that we've received. But the God that... Paul speaks of does not dwell in temples made with hands. Look at verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it since he is the Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples made with hands. You can't build a temple for God to dwell in. When Solomon built the temple of the Old Testament, he said the heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain you, much less this temple which I have built. God does not dwell. He's too big for these temples. And then to emphasize it, God made us, we did not make him. One of the things that you will observe when you go into one of these idols' temples, whether it is the Parthenon or whether it is any of these others that you will find in these countries, the idols in them were made by man. Jeremiah says in chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, For the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of a workman with an axe. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree. They cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them. They cannot do evil nor can they do good. You see, if you put a little idol and you set it in front of you, it's not able to do anything because you made it. That's not the God of the Bible. But now, the third point that he makes is the necessity of repentance. Look with me now, verses 30 and 31. Truly, the times of this ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. You see, God had previously allowed nations to go in their own ways. People could choose under the Old Testament period of time, unless they were children of Israel, to do whatever that nation sought to do. God had only given a law to the children of Israel as a written law. In Acts 14, verse 16, he said, Who in bygone generations allowed nations to walk in their own ways. God just allowed them to go. Only the Jews live by the law, the Gentiles live by their reason, like these people here did at Athens, and their passions, whatever made them feel good, whatever they desired. But Paul would say God once overlooked this. It was during a period of his forbearance. Romans 2, verse 4 says, Or do you despise his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. You look back and see what God has done and how patient He has been in the sense that He created you and He created this world. And how look how He's been very patient. You get to Romans 3, verse 25. Whom God set forth to be a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed but yet now he commands all men everywhere to repent. That means in the United States of America, in the Netherlands, in China. It does not matter what country it is. Everybody stands before God and is accountable to the law of Christ. Some may choose to resist They will be judged. And the proof of this is that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now, let's see how they responded, their preference. They expressed a preference in three different ways. You can look with me at verses 32 through 34. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. While others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them were Dionysius the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. You see, some mocked. They detracted. They decried what Paul had said. It's like people today. Some people just mock and say, I don't believe what you Christians believe. Proverbs 14 in verse 9 says, fools mock at sin. Fools mock at sin. Then there were others who delayed. They said, you know, we're going to hear you on this matter again sometime later. And you know what? I have respect for people who are honest and they listen. And they say, "I, I don't know if I fully grasp and understand what you were saying. I want to know a little bit more, but I'm not convinced yet. But you have to be careful with that. Sometimes people delay because they want to procrastinate. In Acts chapter 24 verse 25, now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control and judgment to come, Felix was terrified or afraid and answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient season, convenient time, I'll call for you. Some people delay to the point where they never do obey. In fact, we're going to sing the invitation song here in just a minute. Some of you have done that. Some of you know the truth by now. You, you may have delayed it at one point in time because you weren't fully convinced, but now you know. Don't delay any longer. And then some were determined, like Dionysius and Damaris and others. They said, you know, that's the truth. I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to do it. You know, Athens is not that different from today. In fact, I think it's interesting. They call Nashville the Athens of the South. People today still like to discuss new ideas, people still get caught up in politics, just like they did then. People are still idolaters. Only the difference is we're not worshiping Venus or Athena. We're not worshiping Aphrodite, but we still worship football, basketball, baseball, hockey, movies, music stars, all kinds of things that pull us away from God. If the good news could reach them, it can reach pagans today too. We don't have to change the message. In fact, we can't change the message. The message that Paul ended was, this Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And you know what? He's going to come, and just like Jesus said, marvel not at this, for all that are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. They who have done good to the resurrection of life, they that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. What will your answer be? If you need to become a Christian this morning, you can come forward, take a seat on the front pew. We will allow you to confess your faith in Christ because you have repented of your sins and then baptize you for the remission of those sins. If you're a Christian and you realize I need to be repenting of some sin that's in my life and I need to make things right with God, why not do that as together we stand and sin?